Nehemiah, uh, chapter 11 through uh, 12, 26 this morning. And I know that is a lot of text, right? It is a lot. Uh, but uh, we'll look at it a little differently this morning. So we're going to read the high points of the text this morning, and our message will aim to capture the aim of the author uh, for Israel and the big A author, God, for us and for the church. So let us pray one more time. Father, we praise you for your sovereign grace. We pray for, uh, praise you for the atoning work of Jesus in us. We thank you for making us a people for your possession. Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us in the word this morning. Give us grace to live the truth of the scriptures that we will look at from Nehemiah this morning. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, before I read the text, as uh, we look at this text, this is really a... Um, as we've looked at the, at the book of Nehemiah as a whole, there are times when we've looked at it and it's a narrative story. It has... It has the, the conflict and resolutions and those things. And this section is really a journal entry kind of written by a general, as it were. It is the governor is writing down a journal of just events and things that have taken place um, afterwards. So as we look at this, we're going to look at uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11. And then I'm going to read uh, 12, 24 through 26. But I will make some points along the way from the passage. Uh, so chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 24. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherebiah, and Yeshua, the son of Cadmiel, with their brothers, who stood opposite them to praise and give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God, watch by watch. Mataniah, Bakubiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talam, and Akbub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Jokayim, the son of Yeshua, son of Josadak, in the days of Nehemiah, the governor, and of Ezra, the priest and the scribe. So this is the inherent, infallible, immutable word of God for us this morning. And you've heard it heard by and said by some that uh, I'm not much for organized religion. When I hear that, I hear only one of two possibilities. They are either for disorganized religion, which means that then there are uh, no parameters where they can then sit around and, and maintain their own autonomy, uh, where they can rule and reign themselves uh, and allow themselves to think maybe pleasant things about God, but those things, only those things which fit uh, according to their own natural proclivities, right? Or it's this, they don't want any religion at all because they don't believe that God is sovereign. They don't believe that God is unsurprised by the events of life and that everything is random and chaotic and there is no order in the universe. Have you heard folks say that to you? I, I'm really not into organized religion. I always wonder, that's the first thought. Comes to mind. So then are you into disorganized religion? 
or really what it is, is that you want no religion at all. It's because you don't believe fully that God is sovereign, that God is in control. Well, I want to get directly to the point of our passage this morning, especially since it's warm. The people of God are a community organized to praise. They are organized to ascribe glory to God with thankful hearts. They are organized to defend and protect the truth of God and His Word. In our passage, we see that that is what Nehemiah is doing. He is organizing the people to occupy the city of Jerusalem. And the people that would occupy the city of Jerusalem were those who uh, were grace-chosen, grace-believing believers in God. And they were those with thankful hearts giving praise to God. So I want us to think just a little bit ahead of time here. Uh, The church universally understood is like the totality of all of the elect of God that that ever was, that ever are, or ever will be. But I want us to take an understanding of the church more particularly, that it consists of a fellowship of faithful and holy people who are intentionally gathered in the name of Christ Jesus, worshiping Him, as we said earlier in our confession, as their only prophet, priest, and king, that they are organized and they are led by his word and by his appointed officers to keep unity of the faith in the bond of peace with thankful and loving praise to God. The local particular church is a set of people set apart by the will of God. They are set apart by the will of God and they are joined together by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together in praise and thanksgiving and we live in his world. That's the other thing to think about, right? That we are gathered as a body of believers, right? Set apart, separated to the worship of God. But we are God's people in God's world. Well, the local church then is the gospel of Jesus Christ made visible in the world. So indulge me for a few minutes. I'm going to get everybody caught up as I can as I gave an overview kind of of the whole book of Nehemiah a little bit. Now, I know you're thinking, this is a long text, and he's going to give us an overview of the whole book. But some have joined us later than others, and I think this is a good time to get that context of the whole book so we get to this occupation of Jerusalem. So so the book of Nehemiah is about God having appointed a leader, Nehemiah, and Nehemiah's duty is to restore, revive, renew, and reform the people of God, to reverse the shame of a people held captive for 70 years in Babylon. Now, in this 70-year period, what had happened to Israel is that they had begun to lose their identity as a chosen people of God. So, Nehemiah began, as any good man of God does, he prayed for four to five months, day and night. And then God moved him to lead this project to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So, in 52 days, with God's hand upon Israel and upon their diligent leader, the wall was constructed. And then we see that Nehemiah was building more than a monument. He was building a people. He was restoring and reviving and reforming the people of God. He was aiming to reverse the shame of those people who are now returning back to God and back to the city of God. So, the returning exiles, they had begun to establish themselves. They established themselves in towns near Jerusalem, But the city was not yet fully occupied. 
And then God moved in their hearts and the people then began to have a desire to hear the law of God read. Men, women, children, all who were able to understand were gathered to hear the law read. Ezra read and exposed the people to the law of God. And the leaders of the people were there to give the plain meaning of the law so that the people would just understand. So upon hearing and understanding the law of God, what had happened is that the law of God had cut them deep to the heart, through the flesh and through the bone, convicting the people of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the leaders of the people then encouraged the people of God to rejoice. So when you're at the lowest part, when you're feeling conviction of sin and you have sorrow for sin, I, I, it struck me that they said, rejoice. Rejoice that God had given you understanding, right? He was telling the people, rejoice because God has given you understanding of who he is and who you are. He's given you understanding. So rejoice. This is a day that the Lord has made a day for rejoicing. The people further reflect, reflect upon their history. And they discovered this, that their history was a history of grace. Their history was a history marked by their own rebellion against God. God's judgment for their sin. And yet it was also a history of God's faithfulness and his mercy to restore them and renew them. So the people of God conclude that they are grace chosen. They are grace delivered. And then, as we saw last week, they make a commitment to growing in grace. And this was all summed up in the statement that we uh, looked at uh, last uh, time, or maybe a couple times ago. We have acted wickedly, but you have acted faithfully. This led the people of God to true repentance. They were more than sorrow, sorrowful for their sin. The people of God not only commit to not sin anymore, to turn away from their sin, but they commit to returning to the law of God as their rule of faith and practice. And so this was summed up last week in chapter 10, uh, verse 28 says, All who have knowledge and understanding join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. And then it's summed up at the end of that chapter. We will not neglect the house of our God. So this is the resolve with which our text takes off. And Nehemiah, with that resolve, plans an organized reoccupation of Jerusalem. So as we look at verses 1 and 2, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in their towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah here is organized in his intention. The people of God must occupy Jerusalem if the city is to be the place of God's glory and God's praise. Most of the people live outside the city, so they cast lots so that 10% of those people would, uh, who had returned as exiles would live within the city. And notice that although the lots were cast, there were those who were willingly volunteered to live in the city, and the people blessed them for their service. So if we are to make the gospel visible in the world, we must penetrate God's world willingly and with intentionality. As Great Commission saints, we are to make disciples of Jesus Christ as we are going. Matthew 28, 19 says, go, therefore, which is to say, as you go, as you go to work, 
in your local school district, make disciples. Occupy God's world in the school district with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you interact with the people of the world online, uh, part of your work maybe from home, if you're working from home and you're working online, occupy God's world armed with the good news of God's saving grace in the person and work of Jesus. As you occupy God's created world, we are just travelers, sojourners passing through, and we are waiting for the realization of our dwelling place secured for us in heaven through the atoning death of Jesus. As we navigate this world, as we penetrate this world, that we are the most important people at our schools and at our jobs and in the marketplace because we carry with us the words of reconciliation to God. We carry with us the gospel of Jesus Christ. This occupation of God's world through God's people, this does not happen uh, just by happenstance. It happens with people who are willingly committed and intentionally living for the kingdom. Great commission saints live intentionally wherever in God's world he is sending us. Now, this occupation is organized. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 11. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his own property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and the sons of Benjamin. The occupation of Jerusalem is intentional. It is intentionally led, it is intentionally organized, and it is intentionally purposed. As we saw from verse 1, the leaders live in Jerusalem. This is intentional. If Jerusalem is to be the center of civic and religious life, it must be governed and led. The people are led and organized by a unified and specific worldview. This is something we need to catch in this text this morning. They have a shared worldview of the reoccupied Jerusalem. And that is this, that we are a people chosen by grace to separate ourselves from the system of the world around us, separated and unified in our commitment to the law of God, to ascribe glory and thanks as guardians of God's truth. Nehemiah assigns priests, Levites, temple servants to live in the city and throughout the province. And these are as guardians and leaders to protect their worldview and to mark them out as distinctly belonging to God. The city had gatekeepers to guard and protect the city from their enemies. And these gatekeepers would have certainly known who belonged and who did not. Who belongs in the city and who does not belong. Not only did the people hold to a singular worldview, uh, there was an encouraged attitude among the people that was promoted. What is the encouraged attitude? It is an attitude of gratitude. It is of thanks and praise. Asaph was the leader charged with praise. Chapter 11, verse 17. The king commanded a provision for the singers daily. Chapter 11, verse 23. And in 12, 8, there were specific Levites charged with songs of thanksgiving. The chiefs of the Levites and their brothers, according to God's command, gave praise and thanks to God, watch by watch. The city was to be a praise to God 24-7. This was the planned reoccupation of Jerusalem in the days of Ezra, the priest and the scribe, and Nehemiah, the governor. So, as we looked at this passage, I, I don't know if, if you have read it ahead of time. When I get got to the end of it uh, on Monday, so I looked at it uh, uh, again. I was like, so what? Like, when you think about what's going on here with 
the occupation of Jerusalem, what's going on in our lives as a church. So what? So so what is this? So what of the church? So how might Nehemiah's plan for the occupation of Jerusalem look like as a church body? Well, we had our greater than Nehemiah who came to this earth to build the kingdom of God. And he built a, he's building a kingdom currently still. People who would occupy God's world to his praise and to his glory with thanksgiving for the grace that God has given us. The New Testament kingdom people known as the church was formed in much the same way as the people of Israel. The kingdom announcement to repent and believe the gospel was received by those whom the Holy Spirit had awakened to sin, righteousness, and judgment. The New Testament people of God, the same of Israel, are those who are chosen by grace, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the promised Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. The local church is a fellowship of faithful and holy people intentionally gathered in the name of Christ Jesus, worshiping him as their prophet, priest, and king, organized and led by his word and his appointed officers to keep unity in the faith, in the bond of peace, with thankful and loving praise to God. See, the local church is a people set apart by the will of God, joined by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify him together in praise and thanksgiving in his world. The local church is the gospel of Jesus Christ made visible in the world. I know I repeated all that from before, but it's worth hanging onto. It is the thing that, that this passage brings to us. The local church gathers, though, to be sent. Right? We gather to be sent. Sent to occupy God's world. To occupy it with thanksgiving and praise to God. And to do this watch by watch. As the church goes into the world, we are armed with the fragrant aroma of Christ and His kingdom. And His kingdom continues to expand as we observe and teach others to observe all that Jesus commands. So, this got me thinking about us looking at what does it look like to be an organized church sent into the world? If we look, and you might remember from our study a few months ago of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 11, it says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each member of the gathered church is gathered in an organized fashion to be equipped to occupy God's world, armed with a biblical worldview, to make disciples of all nations. Whether she's gathered or she's scattered, she is to guard the gospel day and night. Galatians 1, 6-9 says this, I am astonished that you are so quickly discerning him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Maybe even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, 
If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, how can we be sent into the world with the right gospel if we don't gather? If we don't gather to agree on what the right gospel is, if we don't have a discerning heart and a discerning mind to listen to the word of God preached and know, is that the gospel that I have received or is that a false gospel? So we, we gather so that we can have our worldview shored up, right? Our, our biblical worldview shored up, that we understand that the truth of the gospel clearly. And I know you might think that for years, and it's just like it was when I was a, a, a youth pastor and I was pastoring young kids. And um, we had uh, this kid who came week in and week out and he said, Jeff, when are you going to get past the gospel? And I said, never. And he says, well, aren't we going to move on to something else? I mean, I know this. And I'm like, yeah, you, you know it. But we need to be reminded of it so we live it, right? We need, to, we need to hear again and again and again. And we need to know why we know what we know, right? The, the, the salvation that is for us in Christ. So I ask us this question this morning of this text. What kind of people are the church to be? Well, number one, we're to be thankful. We're to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Secondly, but not less importantly, we are to be the people of praise. Colossians 3, 16 through 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I ask us this morning and ask the Lord to do this in us, to let us walk worthy of our calling, to help us to occupy well, to make the gospel of Jesus Christ known and to make it compelling to others so that they might ask us the reason for the hope that we have in Christ. It is those of us who walk in this world of everything being contrary to what we believe, walking in this world with thankful hearts praising God that might conclude somebody to say why do you have that hope in you they'll either assume that you're stupid because you're looking around and they're looking at the same circumstances you are and they're not happy they're not rejoicing they're not filled with hope and yet you are filled with hope they might first assume you're stupid but may we walk worthy and occupy this world well, that we understand the gospel well so that we can make Christ compelling and we can have a compelling reason to give to those uh, for the hope that we have in Christ. And we be those who have thankful hearts of praise to our prophet, to our priest, and to our king, which is the Lord Jesus. Now let us take a moment to uh, silently reflect on God's word.